0: Hello and welcome to The Intersection of Things, a fortnightly podcast where we discuss the stories of how technology and social change collide. I'm Ruth kustik Deal,
1: And I'm Marianela Ramos-Capello.
0: And this week we're talking about consent, online and offline.
1: Okay, so consent and the talk about consent is in the news. Uh, what's going on, Ruth?
0: Shit's going down in Hollywood, basically, um, and further around, where men who were abusers are starting to see consequences. And the issue of needing consent is starting to take hold of things beyond just having sex but also consent for other kind of interactions where it's not okay to just touch someone's knee or it's not okay to just grab someone's ass without asking. So while we're having these conversations about offline interactions, online we're moving in the opposite direction and those things are not just happening simultaneously, they're having an interaction with one another.
1: All right, stick with us and let's tackle this. It is 12.25 p.m. here in Vancouver. It's what, 8.20? Yeah, 820, five? 8.25 in, uh, in London. So this transatlantic transmission of this uh, little podcast is, I don't know, it's fantastic. It's still blowing my mind.
0: Yeah, so basically it's a good way for two people who work together but never actually find time to talk to
1: actually do that. Yeah, let's tell the listeners what the hell is this podcast. So we we work together. We work together in a digital rights organization. So we fight, basically, for all the issues that get manifested through the internet. And so we basically found each other in the workplace. We started having tons of conversations, a lot of them with this angle, too, right? Of, like, human rights and intersectionality and all of that goodness that seems to be not at the forefront of every tech conversation, but it's definitely there. The issues are definitely there. So we got talking, and we said, you know what? it might be a good topic of conversation for a podcast producing some media and try to explore how th- tech, the internet, and human rights, and feminism, and how how these two worlds intersect. So um, the intersection of things was born.
0: The, the other thing is that basically I work on my own remotely which sucks, in the I never get to go to after work drinks or do any of those kind of things. So this is like doing regular after work drinks, but not after work and not necessarily with drinks. But something like that. So this episode, we want to talk about the issue of consent, which is something that's come up again and again in our conversations and it's mostly actually come up from the perspective of the way we're not asked for consent on the internet and it's been interesting to see how this issue of consent has become like huge news globally with this hollywood starting like #metoo movement but that's more been a really interesting hook to kind of expand the issues that we were initially talking about which is the way our bodies are undermined on the internet. Sorry, that was like a really like weird phrase.
1: Bodies um, are undermined on the internet. Like I don't think I don't think it's weird. I think it's pretty accurate. I think we are past, or we should be past, the time where like in the real and the online are considered different things. And I think it is precisely this distinction of like, oh, you really cannot get hurt on the internet because it's not like your body is there, right? Like this whole like sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me or whatever. I mean, that's basically the motto of the internet. And I would disagree. Just at a very basic level, when someone says something extremely harsh or threatening, like a... Uh, threatening your life, if you feel an adrenaline pinch, that is your body. So your body was affected through the internet, your body has been undermined. So, I don't know, I think it's very, fairly, fairly accurate. And
0: then there's like the increasing use of cameras related to things on the internet. You know, how much are the programs that we use taking in our like actual facial expressions, like the way we read things, the way we move our hands and like there are computer programs that track how much your mouse moves around on a screen to see where you're hovering over like which things have got your attention the most. And that kind of thing is definitely taking in your active physical body and recording it in order to make better business decisions. And actually, the thing where I started this was January last year, like one year ago, and. I read an article about a CCTV company based in Scotland who had developed a product that was going to be lip reading CCTV cameras. And the concept we've been sold on is that um, CCTV, closed circuit television, is for crime prevention, right? It's you have it set up in your shop or on the street so you can see if someone gets mugged or if something gets stolen. But What I found amazing about this was the CEO was saying this will be great for getting honest customer reviews. He didn't even Hmm. try and pretend it was about security, which is what we often hear about why we need surveillance. And he said voluntary customer service forms can be dishonest. As though you would have this set up in a shop and you've got someone holding up a shirt and going like, oh, this is kind of an ugly shade of green, and they're recording that and being like, oh, shirts an ugly shade of green, we should make sure our shirts are different colours. Like, that's, that's the kind of idea where actually to me, that's an attack on consent, because nobody walks into a shop expecting to have their opinions recorded. Like, those are your thoughts that you might say them to a friend or you might say them under your breath. But, like, where is the consent for that to be entered into a database? Like, at what point does anyone get to give permission for that?
1: Right. Well, and to be very clear, I mean, in any retail situation, there are always a number of things, and this is before CCTV and before the internet, there are always a number of things that shopkeepers and and people running the shops are looking for as essentially what we would call data points right as feedback points of you know the experience of the shop the at the very basic is, is is this selling or is this not right and good shopkeepers build relationships with their customers and build you know that trust but like so there's always i mean there are a million ways you can have that feedback without infringing on someone's body um the point i'm trying to make is that this is not a necessary evil to just to get data i I don't know yeah does that make sense yeah it does i
0: think i mean for me it's his line about voluntary can be dishonest implies that what he wants is involuntary so that's straight up an admittance that you want to take something or you feel you have a right to take something that's involuntary and Mm -hmm. It also reminded me of another example of where our personal opinions and personal behavior is taken from us as something extra that you don't expect. Like, to me, this attack on consent is also about doing things that you would never, you would never expect were happening. It reminds me of these stories about the smart televisions, which people have already paid for a television. So you've put that up for a cost in and then you find out that the television which is smart in that it's like voice activated also then records the things that you're saying around the house in order to sell that data for advertising and there's no point in which you buy a TV and you think oh yeah part of this purchase is me selling my conversations in my house no, nobody is actually making that conscious decision and it's so often that we're we're being treated as though that's just like part of the deal. I mean, I I'm quite happy to blame Facebook for pretty much everything crap. Uh, I I would say that part of this is there's the sort of Facebook effect that yeah. you know everyone uses Facebook for free, and so you're told I mean, like Google
1: Google is is uh, up there too, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's 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 this idea of like we're used to free products, um, and so we're used to selling our data, but. I feel especially affronted by things that you're actually paying for then also selling your data. It's like, whoa, whoa. Like who t- who told you you were Facebook? Come on now.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, and just to be very clear, um what would be a practical definition of consent for these purposes? Cuz right now consent is being talked about mostly in the area of sexual assault, in the area of harassment, workplace harassment, um, street harassment, um, so it has a very sexualized and rightfully so, a gendered component, because it's you know it's been perpetrated mostly, not exclusively. I have to make this very clear, by men against women. So that's, that's the context in which right now the word consent and the conversations are happening. So what would be a, a more umbrella definition of consent?
0: Well, consent is about making a choice about what happens to your body. It's about having full ownership over your physical self. And then consent should be required for everything that's done with that. You know, there are lots of different aspects. Like I would think about like using... Um, patronizing nicknames, like, I don't like it if someone decides they're gonna call me, like, Ruthie, which really drives me up the wall. I'm like, I didn't give you permission to come up with a stupid name for me. Or, like, Hugs. It's about, like, invading people's personal space. But I also really like this um, comic strip by a cartoonist called Robot Hugs. And they did a piece about consent castles, which I think really gets across the point, for the backlash that's often given about like, "Well, you're not expecting me to ask consent every time I kiss my girlfriend." I'm like, "No, actually, you don't." Like, a consent castle is this idea like when you know someone, you build up an understanding of what your boundaries are with one another. And you can just spontaneously kiss your partner and you can just hug them, but you've built up that consent castle. And the whole strip the the whole comic strip goes into this thing about like when you first are together, you you build up those rules and you say like, you know what, I'm not comfortable doing this thing, that's not really what's okay for me, and then you settle those boundaries down and you feel comfortable, and if you do want to change things, you do say like, you know what, I'm no longer happy doing this, or actually I'd like to start doing this together, then you have that discussion, and then you've made that agreement, and then you're comfortable again. But when assumptions are just made about what can be
1: done to you or what can be done about you, then that's when consent should be required. So if I'm hearing this correctly, consent has to do with autonomy and for a person's right to decide for themselves what happens to their body, what they do with their body. And it's almost like consent is one of the ultimate expressions of freedom because you are able to use your words to decide what the world around you and how the world will interact around you
0: yeah now i wish i uh i should have got out the little un declaration of human rights to see if there's anything in there that matches up with what you were just saying
1: um we'll probably we'll probably find it maybe in the footnotes we're going to talk about that so so yeah another question that i had if consent is basically an expression of freedom that allows you to decide how you will interact with the world and how the world will um, interact with you. I have the question of how um, in the context of the castles of consent, what are the mechanisms? Because one of the things that you hear a lot from businesses and from all of these people in uh, in scandals is, well, am I going to ask every single time? And you did mention, um, you did mention how it's something, a relationship that you build, but what is the mechanism for building that relationship? Online, people usually say, Hey, if you're in my site, then you understand that everything that you do is mine. So I don't have to ask you again to, um, you know, once you entered your email, I don't have to ask you again whether you would want me to keep it or not, because it's assumed so what's what are we missing there
0: yeah the um to to kind of like go nerdy on you the information commissioner's office who are the uk regulator for data protection have um an explanation of consent which i always think is interesting because of how like it sounds to something that sex educators would say. And it says, consent must be freely given, specific, informed and unambiguous. It cannot be inferred from silence, pre-ticked boxes or inactivity. So all of the things that you just mentioned about how websites are like, if you're on my site, then you have consented. um, According to the information commissioner, they haven't consented. Um, And so what they're looking for is something that is more granular, um, that's more that checks in more frequently. So you have to um like go back and ask if people are still okay with everything you're doing, say like once a year or once every two years. It's about actually giving people options. So if you say, would you like this to be done with your information, then you can say no and that won't happen. Like that that your no has some power because there's no point giving people I mean, the whole thing with cookie notices in the EU, where you have these websites that say, you know, do you consent to cookies? And it's like, but if you use our website, then you're consenting. And there's a yes, no option. And then I'm just like, so, so you've already told me my no doesn't matter. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's why I have this whole, this other feeling that like, why I think I have such a strong reaction to these attitudes, it's because I see so many parallels between the way it's presented by businesses, by tech companies, and by abusive practices, you know? It's this thing about like, you can't change your mind once you've agreed to something, like that's it. If you've agreed once, then you've agreed forever, right? Which is not how sexual consent works. Uh, it shouldn't be how consent works online. Um, yep. It's about this like, nature of like coercion, and persuasion.
1: I was thinking, cause it, I don't know, I I I've been reading a little bit about this so-called manifesto slash letter that I might be misrepresenting this, but a bunch of second-wave feminists in France put up, um, basically calling all the Me Too movement an overblown and super puritan
0: oh,
1: yeah. endeavor, right? So embarrassing. It is very embarrassing. It's I'm just like, please come on. And one of the things, and um, I think of this in terms because you did say there's a, a parallel of what's happening online to what's happening in, in the physical world and in the in the area of sexual harassment. A very freaky parallel that I found, like in those conversations and you know reading that, that letter, was that there is this notion that asking and checking in periodically for consent breaks the mood or it's a hindrance to the goal. So, for example, uh, in the website context is, well, if I ask for this checkbox, my conversion rates drop, or people don't buy as much, or people don't stay as long, right? So, um, and, and, you know, in all of these debates, it's like, well, if I ask for a kiss, then I kill the mood. Or if I ask, can I put my hand on your knee, then... It's not romantic or sexy enough. Oh, can't... Is it now that I cannot steal a kiss anymore? Yeah. And I'm like, so if checking in with someone, it's an obstacle to the ultimate goal, all you're saying is that that goal for you your goal not the other person's goal your goal it's worth ruining someone's life or it's worth you know it's the cost of what you want to get out of this interaction again online or in person on a date what you want to get out of this interaction is worth you know forcing someone else to do something and i don't know how i feel about that yeah I don't know. what do you think
0: i think it doesn't ring true to me for romance but then you know everyone has their own idea First of all, I'm sure I have seen in plenty of romantic scenes on television where someone says, "May I kiss you?" and that's seen as like a really romantic moment. It's like, "Oh wow, like here they are, like asking for asking for this thing and it, it's it's seen as really beautiful, like I can think of that as being like a really touching thing to say like, "I suddenly feel this urge to kiss you instead of just like going for it and and on top of which. In my own relationship, you know, I don't feel like it ever kills the mood to just be like, you know, to to say that's what you want to do tonight or to go for something and say like, hey, you want to have sex tonight? Like, it's it's still sexy. Um, yeah, but I mean, the sad thing is that it's a bunch of women who were saying that rather than men saying like oh it kills my mood which i do find interesting so that's specifically women saying that they think it kills the mood to be asked and yeah. i i think i really struggle with that because it's i mean it's especially that they're using their platform to then deny other women the boundaries that they want you know it's all very well Again, I, it's hard for me to fathom because I'm like, well, okay, you can say in your relationship, you know, I don't mind if you just want to, like, be spontaneous and, like, grab hold of my waist and whatever, like, go for it, do whatever, but and I'm just like, but to announce to the whole world that you think it's, it's the right thing to do, and so much so that you want to attack people for asking for consent... And you want to specifically, beyond that, not just attacking people who want to ask for consent, you're attacking people who say, I was assaulted. Like, the action that someone took against me was an act of assault, it was directly against my consent, and I didn't want it. And then you're saying, hey, you know, mm, speaking up about your assault, it really worries me that one day it will make my dinner date less beautiful. Yeah. Like, you've become so... Like, far removed from the original point of this. Like, you've decided you want to write a piece in Le Monde that's entirely about your own personal romance
1: preferences. Yeah.
0: Ah, uh, I don't know. I just, I'm like, you've been swallowed by the patriarchy. I can't.
1: Yeah, and, and then I think there is a... F- a big thing missing. Um, I was listening to this feminist person, woman, in Latin America. Her name is Catalina Ruiz Navarro, and she was in this debate with someone else another a, a second waiver that was defending the French and what Catalina was saying is how like w- there's there's a big piece missing here and it was sort of what you're saying is the piece of autonomy right you might like that you might like to be grabbed by the waist but nine times out of ten for that interaction to take place uh, I mean I hope I'm I'm doing justice to what she was trying to say but nine times out of ten there was already um, there were communication there were signals there was a body language that that has to have happened to set up so grabbing by the waist is not the first or should not be the first contact you know eye contact hello, the way you say something, you know, that communication is not only, hey, may I grab you by the waist, right? It is about setting too. I mean, yeah. again, everything is contextual. But
0: a lot of these circumstances are someone saying, I was in a meeting at work. I was at a job interview. Like, there's no way when the other person can really be like, oh yeah, that's that's the right moment to be to be going for this. If you're on your third date with somebody... And then maybe they think they're going to spontaneously lean over and kiss you. That's possibly quite fine. And you've given them the body language and the signals and you're working through to that point. That's, you know, that's not what people are talking about. I and I find it frustrating that there's like this real conflation of like spontaneous romance with workplace assault. Like there might be some moments where those things are a little bit blurred. I'm not going to pretend that everything is always so clear-cut. And maybe there is a moment when you were on a date and you thought they were really ready for something and they weren't. But is that the thing that people are trying to come forward about right now? Or is it, you know, Louis C.K. cornering someone in a room at a hotel and masturbating in front of them? Like, they're, they're
1: not in the same scale. They're definitely not. And I think... I don't know, I think that's why um arguments like the one in le monde are reductive right and simplistic um it's it's not i don't find movements like the me too and and m- movements that are celebrating you know women's power uh, women's autonomy and, and power over their own bodies right um I don't find them to be puritan or prescriptive. Like now, from now on, this is how your dates shall go. Uh, of course not. I think, I think um, whatever monster that article in Le Mon was trying to kill is non-existent. And they misrepresented or simplified an argument that is not there. Like, I don't think, I don't think consent is about what script you should follow. It's about the autonomy and respect towards someone else's body. Yeah. You know? Towards someone else's life. And yeah. So let's, let's bring it back to online stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think we got, like, really angry about that whole situation. Actually, I, I mean, how I think could you not? I have got, like, the appropriate segue, which was this... um pretty bizarre story I heard where some people were feeling that the response is to create a secure app in which you can sign a contract before you have sex. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting because I've been going on about how like not having tick boxes, not asking for consent is like borderline abuse and I'm like here they are saying well if you do sign this tick box then it can't be abuse.
1: Well, and and there was a lot of backlash to that too, right? Because consent can be removed. And in terms of this app, uh, one of my favorite tweets, I cannot remember who said it, I can probably source it, says, you can clearly tell that whoever designed this app has never had to deal with consent and has never had to deal with their consent being violated because consent can be withdrawn at any moment. And that is important. So... Most of the times when you're in a situation when the other person or people don't care about you and whether you agree or not to something, they're not going to let you reach for the phone, open it, put the password in, go into the app, certify that's you, find the place where you've given consent, write a little essay or untick the box, submit, hopefully there's internet where you are, and then, you know, from a design perspective, how is that going to work? Right. If anything, it sounded to me like an app to have your ass saved in case you decided to rape somebody all of a sudden.
0: Yeah. So uh, that's basically what I thought. It seems like the kind of very thing. Very scary. Yeah. It seems like the kind of thing that douchebags propose because they find, like, women's rights scary and they think if they can put everything down in words then they'll be protected. Like, the only thing that I found, like, mildly persuasive was people who were saying, like, oh, well, you could write a contract about, like, not sharing any images afterwards and then if they decided that they were going to spread them around on the internet you'd have, like, stronger legal recourse than you currently do. Um, Mm. I'm just, like... I don't know if that's really the answer to that whole issue of revenge porn. Like, I think you should have strong Recourse to start with, without needing to use an app. Well,
1: and then there's also something that's very important to me, um, especially as as a queer woman, and knowing that the world is, well, what the world is, and this in some places, you know, being queer or being labeled as such is, um, you know, life-threatening. So just to have just to have an app recording every interaction that I've had and with who. I don't care if Obama's back in the White House or someone else. I don't want a record of of that. So we, we start going into privacy, we start going into the little nuggets of my life that systems may or may not have and then use for or against me um at their will right do we need an app for consent i don't think so i i would i would really like to see more <laughs> real life conversation about consent the app is already in our heads it's it's asking it's saying yes no and it's always on always online yeah and if you cannot say yes and if you cannot say no then it's a no like it's how easy is that
0: yeah i agree it kind of it feels a little bit embarrassing that that's the solution that some people have come up with, rather than thinking about respecting their partners better. Yeah, and you make an interesting point about the whole thing of how much is then recorded. I mean, they're claiming that this is, you know, encrypted and all of that stuff that it's super secure and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, at the same time, we have how many different governments who say... Nothing should exist that we can't read. You know, that's what Amber Rudd, the UK Home Secretary, said about WhatsApp. And there, at least in the UK, our government have this strong attitude that once a data set exists, then they need to be able to use it to fight terrorism. But, mm. you know, that that's always expanded. And whenever a data set is created, it's something that people in power want to use. So I'd I'd prefer like as you said, less data gathering, not more of it. Especially around sex. It's just like no. Jeez. We could talk about so many of these other apps, like that I find pretty scary. Like even these like fertility apps. Have you read about that? Yes. I was just like, oh and sell people's like data on people's fertility and hormone levels so that then they can be marketed like during like each part of their pregnancy. Or even just your um, period apps, and I'm like that. A period app sounds really great. I don't have one, but I'm like, oh, that's you know useful. Know when your period's coming. Make sure you got all your tampons in stock. Great. And then I'm like, but once again, you're literally giving your hormone levels to a business.
1: I don't like how in today's world it's it's the data economy that's um, ruling ruling over privacy, right? It's, it's ruling over any other priority or goal. Um, I think I would mentioned this before in other conversations we've had, but like I remember times where you used to buy a gadget and then it was you and the gadget, right? You would buy a stereo system or you would buy an mp3 player even and it was you and the thing there was no like spotify on the back end saying hey you've listened you've listened like 300 times to this one really sad song um or like what netflix did like for the 18 people that have or whatever for the 53 people that have watched i don't know what movie 18 times or once every day for the last 18 days we're sorry or whatever who hurt you and you're like that's creepy right like why should um, a corporation be an intermediary between me and my body literally um, an intermediary between me and my ovaries and all of a sudden there's like this third person in the room at all times well more than three because all of a sudden I mean more than one extra person because every single thing around us has that extra person or corporation and it's just I don't know. I, I, I think there's something off when, when, not only when that exists, but when we're not really aware that that's happening, right, when we're not really told. And in every exercise of marketing and communication, when you don't say something, when you don't want to disclose something is because the likelihood is that you know that if your consumers knew, they would say no. Yeah. So terms and conditions, right? the fine print you just let's make them 10 minutes long to scroll and five hours to read because right right now you just want to open that iphone and
0: then like it also comes back to another interesting kind of parallel between like this online offline consent and that's about power dynamics like the power dynamic there is all in the business's favor like you have to agree to all of this stuff or you can't use our thing even though It's written in complicated legal language, even though it takes eight hours to read it. Who's got the power there? And I often find when I talk to other people like friends and family who are not spending all their time reading articles about digital rights, that they're kind of are aware of all of these problems and they're kind of aware they're being surveyed on Facebook, but they're just kind of like shrug, what can I do about it? And maybe some of that is apathy, But I also think it's apathy born out of powerlessness. Like, well, they're right. What can you do about it? And, you know, people who are are smug can say, like, oh, just don't use them. But that doesn't actually match our current reality, which is that we have a few businesses who dominate everything. You know, you're right. If you want to listen to music, Spotify is the main place people go. But more than that, if you look at social media platforms, that's where your friends are. You can choose to... Not be in the same place as your entire community. Like, I just got invited to a friend's birthday party on Facebook this weekend. If I had just decided not to be on Facebook, would I just not get invited to that party? I want to see my friends. You know, what's more important to me? Fundamentally, I'm going to choose those relationships over, I guess, like a sort of moral platform of I'm free of surveillance. But me choosing not to use this me like opting out isn't really like making an impact it's not changing that power balance because they have all the power and i have nothing
1: well it's literally quite literally being forced to participate in a system of surveillance just to fulfill your basic social needs and i think that transaction is beyond unfair i would say it's pretty fucked up and i don't i don't think i don't think it should be this way but it does feel like a huge monster to tackle because like you said it's um it's not just a matter of disconnecting and being off the grid like by disconnected by being outside of these networks you lose a lot so the cost is also really big so all of a sudden you are you are put in a position to say There's going to be a cost either way, a social cost, uh, a networking cost, or a privacy cost, a consent cost. And because the social and the networking is felt immediately, I think it makes it so much easier to give up the other part, right? We, We don't mind being in lists. Until a fascist regime gets a hand of those those lists, right? We don't mind, and I'm just this is quote unquote, right? Air quotes. We don't mind being labeled as queer or as women or as dissenting or as lefty or as whatever, until someone with that information uses that information to infringe upon our right, right? Yeah, right?
0: Which is why I fundamentally feel like these businesses are engaging in abusive behavior it might not be the way we commonly define abuse but every time i think about these things and the more we talk and we draw out these parallels about like power about whether or not you can choose about like how there's a cost to every aspect of that relationship i just think that is an unhealthy relationship that we have with these businesses and that we have with like so many of our interactions online are about undermining our own control over our bodies the one thing that i will say like to try and be more optimistic about this I just dropped a dice on the floor. Anyway, I was trying to be... A, a, not even a D8, it's a D10. But it landed on 20 out of 100. Anyway, I was going to say that there are lots of places where people are trying to like write laws to regulate things. Um, and there are like lawsuits that are happening. And I'm really trying to follow some of the other lawsuits that have been going on that are questioning whether or not legally some of the things that you're signing up to in terms and conditions actually count. So for instance, if you sign up in your terms and conditions that say that you um, agree to, what's it called, private arbitration? Yeah, like private arbitration. Like if you have a problem with many of these sites, um, I think Uber used this where they say like that you won't be able to bring them to court. You'll agree to like private arbitration. And I think I recently read this that Tesla say that as well, which is a bit weird. Probably need to check that. And it's like, can you actually do that legally? Like, Can you say, if you signed up to this long list and you've pressed the button at the end, you've agreed to remove your own legal rights? And I think there's an ongoing case at the moment that I need to look back into. And I think that kind of thing is gonna have a huge impact because if the court cases say, actually, it's not legally binding, like those contracts aren't legal because you actually can't be reasonably expected to have understood them, I would hope mm. that that would change quite a few things, and that kind of is like a big move towards empowerment
1: that's that's a good point i'm I'm really hopeful and i'm and i well I'm not hopeful, but I'm really glad to see that the courts and the uh lawyers and and legal systems are in a small way at least trying to to tackle this head on
0: yeah I think there is the thing I'm really excited about is like this like sudden like spurt of articles I've been reading that are about like regulation and how we control these platforms. And yeah, they're not all about the same thing, but I feel like there are more and more people who are saying, you know, what I've just fucking had enough of this. All right? Uh right. I'm excited about this organization called the Open Markets Institute that have like really I think they just it came into existence last year to deal with like monopolies and are looking at like the vast monopolies that Facebook and Google own. And you know that's like indirect response to their trying to control what a think tank was putting out. And this think tank said one branch of a think tank were just like well maybe we don't want you to control what we're doing and in fact thanks for the inspiration we're going to actively fight you now. So that kind of thing gives me some real inspiration. We should do a future podcast episode that specifically looks at that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, listeners, stay tuned for uh, awesome guests. Um, uh, Before we we wrap up and we go away from from the good things, there's also the GDPR, the EU regulation, that just, well, is going to come into uh, effect very soon. Um, I mean you're in the eu you know more about this but um uh, from an outsider perspective it was super hopeful to see that there was major uh, legislation being passed to protect data and the language that they were using and that they are using is is a little bit surprising i don't know yeah
0: i mean I'm, like, such a nerd for the GDPR. I'm, like, really excited about it. I'm just like, yes, this is going to reinforce consent. I've been talking to a lot of NGOs and charities who do the kind of thing where people have petition boxes where you don't tick yes I consent before your data is passed on when the kind of the key thing is that you want to be taking an action to make change not having your data gathered about how this is demanding that kind of like active choice no pre-tick consent boxes like that if you're asking for consent that consent has to be a real clear informed smart choice and that like you have to write your privacy policies in a way that are informative and educational that explain exactly what's going on you have to list everyone that you share data with by name you can't just say we share data with third parties and leave it at that like all of that is a real opportunity for education i i will admit that the more i read about it the more i'm concerned about some of the other aspects being used um there are a number of different reasons the law gives you that you're allowed to gather data beyond consent And I'm concerned that some people are going to try and claim those other reasons when they are not necessarily a fit. Um, There's this particularly strange thing called legitimate uses. Um, Mm. And what a legitimate use is, it can't be something that's contrary to the rights of your customers. But I think there's a lot of wiggle room there. And I'm just hoping that people don't try and take advantage of that section. I mean, every, everything else is really very specific. It's, for, it's like when you need that information in like healthcare, for instance, like in an emergency situation, there are these other reasons. And when you read them, you're like, oh, yeah, OK, yeah, I can understand why you can't get consent in that situation. So I'm, I'm just keeping my eye on how this pans out. Um, I still have a lot of hope. Uh, I guess I've just spent too much time talking to cynics in the last couple of weeks who have been sort of slowly ebbing away my excitement.
1: I'm really looking forward to see how the courts will interpret the law because I think that's where where we're going to see truly the effect of it, right? I'm really happy that a lot of organizations are, you know, are, are making all the necessary changes to, to respect the law and respect the rights of their consumers. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to see how courts and, and how, um, how this is actually applied.
0: Yeah, hopefully this is the kind of thing we can check in again in like five
1: months' time and see what actually happened. Did the world break? Eh, probably not. Anything else about consent? Online, offline? Hmm. I
0: mean, basically, people should read everything I've written on this subject. Uh, I have a Medium account. Uh, yes, people should. And I, uh, I wrote quite a long piece about this. Consent is
1: everything, it's called. Uh, that's my belief. Very important. There was also an article you wrote uh, for The Independent on that. Yep. And, um, yeah, really glad that these conversations are happening. And thank you for having this conversation on the record, literally, for the podcast. Until next time okay this is a really awesome conversation thank you so much so what are you taking away with you what did you learn from this
0: i thought you raised a really interesting point where you tied in the discussion we were having about consent and this idea of having an app for consent which is obviously nonsense uh into the whole surveillance culture And how the experience of being a queer woman makes it much more sensitive to be concerned about having a record of all of your sexual relationships. And it made me think, once again, how appropriate it is that we wanted to call this podcast The Intersection of Things. Because in that, like, two sentences, we were talking about the intersection of sexuality, about this issue of consent, about surveillance, about who gets to make apps, um, who's getting the stories about the apps they're making. Like, all of those different issues are coming across in that little thing. And it just really reminds me that everything about digital rights is just... Constantly crossing over into other interests, um, and I find that yeah, pretty educational, and it was a good point. What about you, Marinella? What did you get out of it?
1: Oh man, so much. I'm still really grateful and happy for uh, you bringing in the idea and introducing me to the the framework of the castles of consent. I think um, a lot of these discussions that are trying to paint consent and asking for consent as an obstacle or a hindrance or a mood killer or like engagement killer, if we're uh, talking about online, a lot of these arguments are very reductive and are missing the nuances and the responsibility that we have to communicate, but also to listen, to listen to other people's cues, to listen to other people's needs wants desires sometimes it's not just like a verbal question yes or no people let you know in many different ways right? Uh, with body language, with moving your body away from you. And online, sometimes they just stop engaging. Sometimes they just stop clicking, they stop coming back. You start losing people, right? And Or people start putting fake names in, you know? And that's, that's a way they're letting you know they're not okay with what you're doing. So I really, really uh, appreciate the call for a little bit more of a nuanced understanding but the, the element of listening like listen to what the other people are telling you they're okay and not okay with and use that listening to build a closer and like a more satisfactory i don't know is that the word relationship right a more fulfilling relationship for everyone involved so yeah that's uh, that's what i'm taking with me this week Uh, Thank you for for this awesome conversation. Thank you, Maranella. It's always great to have my Sunday evenings with you. Yes, same. All right. And see you or hear you listeners soon.